after I got here working with kids, um, had a little guy come in and he comes up to me and he's like preschool and he said, will you pray for my dad? Yeah, buddy, I'll pray for your dad. What's wrong? He's got a crack in his neck. So I thought, oh, he meant crick. I didn't know that. We weren't on the same page. And I said, oh, did he have an accident? I'm going to tell you something. I learned real quick. What I call an accident and what he calls an accident is two different things. Because he, he looked at me real strange. He said, my dad's potty trained. Good. We are so proud of your dad. Give him a sticker when you get home. And so I, I leaned down and, and um, he said, and I didn't ask. And that's the funny thing is kids will just tell you. Mom and dad, we do not judge you, but we know a whole lot more than you think we know. <laughs> so I leaned down and he said, well, my mom made chicken fried steak. And my dad said that if, if she would call my granny, she could teach her to make it where it wasn't so tough. Okay, are you ready to go to class? And she's been making him sleep on the couch, and our couch isn't comfortable, and so I want to pray for his neck. And I'm, all right. So I lean down, and I grab his little hands, and we pray for daddy's crick in his neck. We pray that mom will let daddy come back to bed. And we thank Jesus that daddy was potty trained and he went on to class. <laughs> it was the funniest thing because, you know, kids are honest and sometimes we think they're mean. No, they don't get mean until middle school. <laughs> then they're like ruthless. Hold on. But they're just honest. If they tell you you're fat, you are. <laughs> if they tell you you look funny, you do to them. If they ask why there's hair growing out of your ears, go look in the mirror. It's there. <laughs> like, they are honest. But one thing we know about kids is they're not the greatest storytellers. They're, <laughs> they tell stories. But they're not the greatest storytellers because there's things that they leave out. There's things they don't understand, like crick and crack and all that kind of stuff, right? There's things that we don't can't completely get from the kids. And I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about two different types of storytelling. Producer and curator, okay? So you have to ask yourself, am I a producer or am I a curator? And you go, what are those two things? Well, I'm so glad you asked because I have some definitions I would like to share with you. A producer, they clean the story up. They polish it up. They shape it into something that is appeasing to the eye, to the ear, like a song or a novel, a podcast, a movie. There are even preachers out there that produce a sermon to make people happy. There are. If you're looking for that, I don't think they do that a lot here in this church. I don't know. But like, what was Pastor Randy called? The Foo-Foo Church? This is not like, what does that even mean? Okay. But like they produce, it's like, what can I do to appease and attract you? This typically satisfies a market need. A producer will turn a story into a product that they can sell. A producer makes a story more desirable by extracting or emphasizing whatever is necessary to serve that purpose. Easy terms, they upcycle. They make it into something that they think is better. Now, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with being a producer in things in life. 
It's like, okay, some of this, maybe I shouldn't, ooh, let's do this with it. They upcycle it. Then there is a curator, okay? If you don't know what that is, that's fine. I'm going to tell you. They have a much greater depth of respect for the story and the knowledge of its true value. They know the story is not a product. They also know that it has no responsibility to us, but we have all the responsibility to it. A curator will preserve it exactly as they found it, even if the findings are unattractive or hard to digest. They care about its safety and its survival. They, the challenge for a curator is to find the right setting to display what they're protecting. The focus is to pass it on to future generations fully intact. As I was preparing for this, I came across this quote by a guy named Eugene Peterson, and he says, we live in a world impoverished of story. So it's not surprising that many of us have picked up the bad habits of extracting truths from the stories we read. We summarize principles that we can use in a variety of settings at our discretion. We distill a moral that we can use as a slogan on a poster or as a motto on our desk. I'm going to tell you all something. We do the same thing with the Bible. All right? We, there, are, there are estimated, I was, I was researching this out. This was super fascinating to me. Um, there is an estimated 30,000 Christian organized denominations in the world. Let me say that one more time. 30,000 organized Christian denominations. Now, I want you to understand, that means like in the Baptist, there's like 30 different kinds, right? That doesn't count. Baptist is one. There's thir that's a lot of denominations. And here's what blows my mind. And if it doesn't blow yours, process it a little bit. They're all using the same Bible. The same Bible. We all have the same Bible. And then I found, according to the National Congressional Study Survey, this was done in 2020, you know, the year we were all shut down. <laughs> There's an estimated 380,000 churches in the U.S., not including house churches. 380,000 churches in this country, not including house churches, all using the same Bible. Could the reason we have so many churches and so many denominations be that we pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we like? You know what I'm talking about. To tell the stories we enjoy. Ooh, I don't like that one. Let's not talk about that. Ooh, but I like this one. And people will like this one too. And you'll be my friend and you'll keep coming to my church. So I'm going to tell you a story that you might like. Or we avoid the things about God that, that make us uncomfortable. That hit a nerve inside of us. Things that we don't understand that are ugly and messy and these stories are like, ugh, I don't like that. Rather than trying to preserve the truth of every chapter and every verse, we pick the parts we like. We ignore the parts we don't and dismiss or disregard what makes us uncomfortable making excuses along the way. We claim, and I'm not talking about Lone Star Cowboy Church, I'm talking about the church in the Western world, in North America, in this country, in this on this part of the pond, Egypt, Texas included. <laughs> we claim to be a New Testament church. So man, we are in the Gospels and every now and then we'll dabble in Psalms and Proverbs. 
But the Old Testament, it's a little too much. Some of that, it's confusing and it's hard to understand. So like, I don't know. And then we use, we make the excuse of, well, it's just not relevant anymore. It's just not relevant. I'm going to tell y'all something this morning because I have the microphone, so I'm going to tell you. Um, yeah, I don't know how we're going to get out of my hair. Somebody asked me that earlier. I'm like, oh, we're going to figure it out. There isn't one part of the entire Bible that isn't relevant and that's meant to stand alone. Not one part. Not one piece of the entire Old Testament, New Testament was meant to be on its own. All 66 books, 39 old, 27 new, and all 31,102 verses are connected to each other. They all play a part. And I'm going to give you some examples of that. You can't understand the kingdom of God without understanding Genesis chapter 1. We come every week looking for truth about who God is and what he has for our life. But I'm going to tell you something. It started a long time ago in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 22, Abraham went in obedience. Obedience to God. He set out to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And he gave Isaac the wood for the sacrificial offering to carry up that hill. And then we read in the Gospels that God sent his only son to be sacrificed for our sins. And our Jesus carried that wooden cross on which he hung up the mountain. You can't fully understand the power of the Last Supper that you read about through the Gospels without understanding the significance of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. And then my favorite, Isaiah 6 says, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's that mean? He saw you back. He saw you too. He saw me too. Before we ever even took our first breath, he knew the price he was paying was worth it for you and I. Even if we didn't accept it. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know too many guys that are going to ask a girl out if they don't think they have a chance. I know a couple. They're in our middle school program. I'm like, she's four years older than her, you. And he's like, and she's got a car. And I'm like, well, let me know how it works out, buddy. But to know that our Savior was like, I'm doing this for people in Montgomery, Texas. I'm doing it for people in Cairo that may never even choose to accept me. He did it. Since Genesis, God's chosen approach was to partner with his people. Y'all get that. His approach is to partner with you. Not just with me, not with whoever's up here. You, sitting in the seat, planning what you're going to have after church for lunch. God wants to partner with you. It's kind of like a quilt. I'm going to ask Pastor Jason to come up here. I said, if, if Vanna White was a woman and a cowboy, this is our Vanna White today. <laughs> he was like, I don't think about that. Anyway, so there are many different types of quilts in the world, and I have a few. Go ahead and put that first one up. Y'all give it up one more time for our Vanna. <laughs> many quilts are made to sell. 
So there's no really ugly pieces or bad pieces of fabric because the producer of it is trying to make the most from the quilt. This quilt was actually made for me from one of my best friends, Lori Lindemann, for Christmas. Like, y'all, I can't, true story, do not judge me if you do, that's your own problem. I can't sew on a button. So when she shows up and she said, I pieced this together for you, I was like, I can write you a song. Do you want to hear it? Like, <laughs> it was beautiful. But the thing is, if Lori hadn't given it to me, there's a whole lot of people that would have loved it because it's beautiful and it's, it's perfected and she was detailed and she picked the pieces that she thought looked the most beautiful. Then there are other quilts that are a little bit more personal. You, others might appreciate them, but they don't necessarily identify with them. They don't feel like it relates to them, so they pass it off to someone else. For both of my kids, we took all their sporting t-shirts and their mission shirts and their Justice, my oldest, we got his first little peewee, like it was the cutest thing. It's a little jersey, it's like this big. And then we have his last football jersey all on the same quilt. That, oh. But guess what? That has no value to you. You can see the value in it. You can go, wow, that's awesome. I should do that with my kids' shirts. I should do, you know, and you can go, wow, I see, and you can appreciate it. But it's not something that you're going to say, hey, Amber, when you die, can I have your kids' quilts? That would be weird. First of all, don't talk about when I die. Mind your business, right? <laughs> then there are the family quilts. A family quilt, each piece serves a significant purpose. Each piece serves a memory. Some are ugly. Some are dingy. Some don't make sense. They're not proportioned the same. And the nature of a family quilt is to be preserved for generations. Perfect. Y'all give Pastor Jason a hand. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this quilt. My husband is the youngest of seven. He has six older sisters and then him. If y'all need to process what it's like being married to the only boy and he's the baby, take a minute. Like, to, I'm going to tell you, he's the greatest man alive, but they're like, Jesus, Phil. And I'm like, come on now. But when Phil's parent, his dad passed away, and then when we lost his mom, the girls, you know, they took over. And I was like, leave me out of it. I'll make coffee if y'all need anything. Like, I'm here for moral support and awkward humor because I don't really know how to handle all this. And they went through this cedar chest that had all these quilt toppers that had not been finished that had been from his mom, his grandma, his great-grandma, so on. And they got what they wanted, and then they were like, oh, we probably should give Phil one. Phil didn't care, you know, but they did. And this was, they get brought this quilt topper to us, and it sat in the sealed bag in the closet for a long time. And then I thought, I want to do something with it. And I have a friend here in the church, Miss Ann Sanchez, greatest lady ever. I, I brought this quilt topper to her, and I was like, can you do something with this? And I'm going to tell you, for quilters, they like, it was like, heroin for a drug addict. It was kind of weird. She starts like foaming at the mouth and she's getting excited and I'm like, you're gonna be all right? Like, we good? Okay, what are we doing here? She's like, can you tell me the history on this? I said, it came out of a trunk. <laughs> okay. I said, but you know what? There's, there's these three letters on here and it's either, we can't figure it out. It's either a B-A-A or a B-A-N. 
B-L-N, whatever. Let me, let me see what I can find out. So Anne took the quilt top and I started researching. And what we found out was that either way, it was the same person. Barbara Ann Amstutz became Barbara Ann Amstutz Nussbaum. So it was A or N. She was born, my, fa- my husband is, uh, grew up Mennonite, in case you, there's a fun fact for you. Yeah. We have electricity though, don't be afraid. Um, she was born March 23rd, 1836. And she died November 11th, 1882. So I contacted Miss Ann and I was like, this was Phil's mom's great-grandmother. It was Phil's great-great-grandma. So Anne, she took this, and I may be saying this wrong, but she went to like a museum of people who work with quilts. Like there is a place if you didn't know that. Like if you're ever like looking for a place like that, they have them, y'all. And they like geek out over this stuff and they, they preserve and they work on. And she took and she worked. And, and I told her, I said, Miss Anne, there are places of this like fabric that's like falling apart. Not knowing what I had. Hear me on that. Not knowing what I had, I said, if you need to take some pieces out, you can do that. You would have thought I said, I'm going to kill your first child. She was like, we will do no such thing. Okay. She said, I'm going to preserve this quilt. And I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure everything stays intact. She did a fantastic job. And... So Miss Anne, although she doesn't know the story behind the work shirts and the pieces and the other quilts that were taken apart over the years, she became the curator of this quilt. And when she presented it back to me, she said something that rocked my world. She said, now this quilt's made to be used. She took all the pieces that if they would have been shifted at all would have fallen apart and she reinforced so that the pieces that were falling apart can now be preserved for forever. This quilt will go past my kids and my grandkids. It's going to last for forever. When we deny the full story, we omit pieces of the tapestry that not only foretell the coming of the Messiah, but they give value to the redemption that took place on the cross. Welcome back, Vanna. (laughs) Hear me on this. It is hard to understand the value of your salvation if you don't understand what you've been saved from and who you've been saved to. Why, when Jesus walked into these villages and began to speak, were people like, wow? Because they, were, they had been oppressed for so long. He brought peace. He brought hope. He brought truth fulfilled from Old Testament. They said he was going to do it. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And you said, that's great. Thanks, lady. But you're not helping me at all. I don't even know how to read it. I'm confused when I read it. Let us help you. 
We have digging deep. We have Bible studies. We've given you guys, and if you haven't got it, we still have it available, a free resource where you can jump on and do all kinds of Bible studies in your own time. On your phone, there's an app called YouVersion that comes with a gabillion options of Bible studies. We have no excuse in this day and age to not be able to study the Word of God. People have to sneak in Egypt. Shame on us for not going, you know what? I don't understand the book of Leviticus, but I bet you somebody out there can help me figure it out. I don't understand what God was doing right here, but obviously it pertains to me now. And if I want to figure out what that connection is, I need to get into the word. No, it's not like opening up a novel. Because there's depth and there's meat and there's understanding that is meant to transform your life. But you can't get transformed if you don't put yourself out there for it to happen. Now, we do, if this upsets you, you're going to be all right. We do the same thing that we do with the Bible with our lives. We take pieces of ourselves we put it out there because we don't really want people to know, right? Let's be honest. We don't want people to know our mess. And we get confused because we like, but the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, Jesus forgives. Yes, Jesus forgets. But your past is meant to be used for a purpose. But what happens is, is we come in contact with somebody else and they're struggling and they're hurting. And so we give them a little piece of ourselves. Here you go. God bless your ministry. Bless you, brother. Look, I've been a girl my whole life. Anybody that questions that, shame on you. But I will tell you something. I've been in youth ministry for 22 years, and I have a whole lot of boys over there that have deadbeat dads that get drunker and cooter brown and want their boys to post up to prove that they can be a man. And they need men who have been there, who now love Jesus, who are not afraid to say, you can do something with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I have boys, young men. They look like men. They're not, but they look like men. That will cry and say, I know God has something for me, but my parents think it's funny that I'm at church. And I'm like, you keep being who God's called you to be, and he'll use you to reach your parents. But you know how much more powerful that is when a man that's been there can step up and say, I ain't your daddy, but I know God's got a plan for your daddy. And I'm going to stand with you until we get this figured out. Ladies, we got girls that are looking for every opportunity to get attention. And now there's all kinds of websites. All they got to do is throw a picture out there and they can get money for whatever they want to get. And we have a lot of students that are doing it. I can't believe this. Not my kid. Man, stop saying not my kid. What about the rest of them? What about the ones that don't have somebody who cares if their butt's in the seat at church? What about the ones who could care less what happens to them? What about the ones that are buying them beer at 13 going, you want to drink with mom and dad? You got what it takes? But we don't want people to know our past. And we don't want people to know our weaknesses. And we don't want people to know our shortcomings. So we hide what we don't want them to see. And then we put pieces of ourselves out there. And I'm going to tell you something. 
that's not who you are. Without Jesus, yeah, you're a pile of pieces. Good, bad, pretty, ugly, broken, failed dreams, lost memories. But when Jesus comes in, the Bible says when we give our life to him, basically what he does is he takes this one thread, the gospel from Genesis to the maps or Revelations. Where's the maps? It's behind Revelations. If you've never seen that, there's maps in the back of your Bible. From Genesis to Revelations, and he takes your broken pieces and he threads them together. And then he says, you're not broken anymore. Now go be used. Wrap your full self around people and let them see my love. Let them see what I've done in you. Let them feel how good I am. That it doesn't matter. Listen to me. Listen to me. It doesn't matter if you're like, look, I'm still working through this. Good. Don't wait until you're perfected to help somebody else because you're never going to get there. Use what you've got right now. Well, I've been clean for a week. Tell somebody. I stopped hitting my wife. Tell somebody. I stopped ignoring my kids. Tell somebody. Y'all, who told you you had to have it all together to come in here? You may fool these people, but your kids will tell us the truth. <laughs> he got that, that crack in his neck. Mm -hmm. She better figure out how to make good chicken fried steak. Pieces. I've never, ever, I always consider it such an honor when Pastor Andy asks me to share. And I'll go to Pastor Jason. I'm like, okay, I'll process this with me. But they, if I get weird and emotional, they don't know what to do with that. And I do. And they, they're like, she likes to laugh. So they say something funny and I'm like, okay, yeah, let's laugh. All right. But on the flip side, if, if Pastor Jason is sharing his heart and he's talking, I don't know what it means to be a man. And that's why we need each other. What a sad life to live. When we stand before God, even if you gave your heart to him, what if you never gave your life? Have you thought about that? I gave my heart to Jesus, I'm here. But what did you do with what I gave you? Because if it was just about salvation, the moment you got saved, you'd be gone. Yeah. I've never been in a situation when that's happened, I might pass out. If somebody gives their heart to Jesus and then they die, I'd be like, I've got to do something different with myself. <laughs> I don't know that I can handle this. Everybody I've ever been around, they stay alive. Why? Because God wants to take those pieces that he just put together and use it for his glory. You, me, we were made to be used. Bow your heads with me all across this room. And if you're joining us online, bow your heads wherever you're at. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you wonder why your life is in shambles, let's start there. The Bible says if we believe with our heart and we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, he will forgive us of our sins. So if you're in here and you're like, I need to give my heart to Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand right where you're at. Anybody? Okay, now we're going to ask a really hard question. 
If you're in here and go, look, I've given my heart to Jesus, but I really probably need to give my life. I need to be more open to him using what I have, my story, my failures, my strengths. I can do that. I'm a mechanic. I can fix cars. And there's, there's a little widow in the church. Her car keeps breaking down. Why don't I do something about it? If you know you need to step back and go, I need to be more open to using more of myself. And I'm going to tell you something. The reason we don't is because we're afraid people are going to judge us. And I'm going to be the, I'll tell you this right now. If you let somebody into your inner circle, you let somebody into your life and they begin to criticize you for what God's delivered you from, you shake that person off. If you're single and you're dating somebody and they want to hold your past against you and they weren't part of the past, all they're seeing is what God's delivered you from, baby, you keep walking. Because who the sun sets free is free indeed. So if you're in here and you can say, I need to work on using my whole self a little more. I'm going to ask that you raise your hand. Awesome. Very cool. Stand up. Let's pray. If you're not weirded out, grab the hand of the person next to you. People don't like that. But we're going to connect. It's COVID. Wash your hands when you're done. You'll be all right. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we thank you for every person here and within the sound of my voice. God, I thank you that our lives are a bunch of pieces that when we allow you, you bring together to this beautiful tapestry. Jesus, I pray that as every person leaves, there is a confidence and a boldness that they can be used by you. If they have breath in their lungs and blood in their veins, they can be used by you. God, I pray that as your church, as your people, our arms will be stretched out and we will wrap around the hurting, the broken, the, the, the rejected, God. The people that are different. Help us to be your hands and feet. And when things come up that make us uncomfortable, help us to look to you the one who defines us completely and see that you've pieced it together and it's beautiful now. It's beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We love you in your name, amen. Real quick before you leave, I'm in children's and youth ministry. I believe in little object lessons. On the way out every door, we've got baskets with little pieces of fabric that says I was made to be used. Yeah. Stick it in your pocket, stick it in your Bible, put it on your mirror, but remember, this little significant nothing, when God gets involved, changes the world. We love you. You guys have an awesome week.